Thanks so much. Hey, Skull! Woo! Come on, people! Jesus is soon to return, man. We need to be running. Right? Woo! Okay, now you guys have to listen because I'm trying to prepare you for the return of Jesus. You got to remember, it's my job. So y'all pay attention because, you know, God's going to show up. The sky's going to turn purple. I think that's what it says in the word somewhere. Someone say, the sky's going to turn purple. We're going to see like a giant horn in the sky. We're signs and wonders, right? Signs and wonders. Today we saw a sign and a wonder, did we not? It was a beautiful thing. So it's been a full day. I don't know about the rest of you, but uh, it's been an amazing day. Great uh, time with the Lord this morning. Had such a great time with the Casey's this afternoon as well. So grateful for these young men and women of God who are the future of our church. And uh, they know that you are praying for them. And I have asked them to do the same, to pray for you all as their parents and family members and to redouble their efforts to try to find ways to build community in your families by seeking the Lord together. And so we had a time that was not unlike what happened in the main room together. There was just a lot of the Holy Spirit just kind of followed us right over there and God was with us. And so that was wonderful. And now we have the capstone, which is the Vikings win and now the message from the word of the Lord. <laughs> After men in I... Men in tutus. I'm, I keep finding awkward moments that I'm standing before you. I, I don't quite know how to recover from men in tutus and balloons and noses and things, but I'll try my best, so pray my strength in the Lord. Amen? Amen. Amen. All right. So sit back and relax because your stomachs are full. I'm, tonight I want, to, um, I want to tell you a story and... Uh, the theme for this evening, the name of this message is He Makes All Things New, including um, sports teams. He makes all things new. And so I just want to tell you a story this evening uh, before I get to the portion of scripture. It was December, and a light blanket of snow covered the rooftops and the small dwellings of Olney, England, a small town 60 miles north of London. The streets made of cobbler's stone which paved the narrow ways were quiet as the world around him slept. But he could not. There was a sermon to finish and a hymn to write as he did both constantly. Candle and a table, a pen and inkwell, and the intensity of his thoughts and burdens of his heart were his companions well into the night. A new day was coming and with it a new year. It was 1773. His sermon was nearly complete. He had sought the Lord on what to say and how to best bring comfort and encouragement to his people, how to keep them focused on the Lord and the comfort that he brings when life is hard to bear. On this morning, as Pastor John loaded the pulpit, he preached from David's prayer of thanksgiving found in 1 Chronicles verses, chapter 17, verses 16 and 17. I am including 18 for context. And it says, Then King David went in and sat before the Lord and prayed, Who am I, O Lord, and what is my family that you have brought me thus far? 
And now, O oh God, in addition to everything else, you speak of giving your servant a lasting dynasty. You speak as though I were someone very great, O oh Lord. What more can I say to you about the way that you have honored me? You know what your servant is really like. Yes, on this morning, the preacher was not only recalling the goodness of God to David and his congregation, but to himself, one so undeserving of the mercy and grace extended to him on March 21st, 1748, which the pastor memorialized for the rest of his life through prayer and repentance as his great turning day, when his ship, the Greyhound, and its cargo the stolen, jostled, broken bodies of African women and men and children barely survived a storm at sea. A wretch indeed he was, shuttling lives from the shores of the great continent of Africa to the shores of an expanding America, needing bodies to build their dreams and establish a country that would never recognize them as fully human. In the midst of a storm where they were sure to perish, John Newton cried out and asked the Lord for his mercy, that he might have his life be spared. And it was. But more than his carnal life was spared that day, a new life was beginning. beginning. A small flicker began to burn in a calloused heart, which gave birth to a greater flame and recognition of the need to change, not temporarily but permanently from being one who sold lives to one who would surrender his own life in search of the eternal promise of forgiveness and salvation. The Lord gives us many blessings, John Newton writes, but unless we are grateful for these, we lose much of the comfort from them. So enough of David. What about you and me? When you look back, where were you when the Lord found you? I, he said, was a wretch. Faith's view and expectation, which is known to us today as the hymn, Amazing Grace, is a global song of hope, of freedom, and of trust of beginning to be made new in Christ. It's been sung for centuries and continues to be sung even in our recent past. From the American South during the Civil Rights Movement to the release of Nelson Mandela from a South African prison. It was sung after the fall of the Berlin Wall and as a national song of comfort on September 11th. It was sung after thousands held captive by raging storms were freed from their watery bondage, only to be released into ravaged streets of the Ninth Ward in New Orleans and other parts of the Gulf Coast after Hurricane Katrina. And it is sung at institutions like my own Bethel University, an institution founded in 1871 by another ship captain and scholar, John Alexis Edgren. Edgren founded Bethel just 64 years after the death of John Newton, who lived long enough to witness the answer to many of his prayers, including the successful passage of the act for the abolition of the slave trade. Think of the magnitude of the moment when John Newton recognized that this life that he had lived, a life full of sin and shame, had been captured by the abounding love and grace of God. This same recognition of the grace and mercy of God given to John Newton is the same grace and mercy bestowed upon the Apostle Paul, the chiefest of sinners, as he called himself, on his great turning day, to use John Newton's language, when he received his sight 
and his freedom on a Damascus road. On that great day, the apostle of faith experienced fully what he is preaching to the church of Corinth in his second epistle to them, which is our key verse for tonight and which you've heard throughout this weekend. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 14 through 17 says, Either way, Christ's love controls us. Since we believe that Christ died for all, we also believe that we all have died to our old life. He died for everyone so that those who receive his new life will no longer live for themselves. Instead, they will live for Christ who died and was raised for them. So we've stopped evaluating others from a human point of view. At one time, we thought of Christ merely from a human point of view, how differently we know him now. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ is a new person. The old life is gone and a new life has begun. Do you remember your great turning day? The day when you recognized the blessed freedom for which Christ died? The sweetness of relief that was yours for the asking? Do you still rejoice as you ponder the reality of that bold statement that if anyone be in Christ. They are a new creation. The old has gone. Behold, again, there is that language of sight. The new has come. The first time I heard this message preached, I remember hearing it from a pastor who initially spoke no words, but stretched his arms out and turned in front of us slowly as one large circle, and his arms just turned wide around, and he said, I want you to recognize that I have been changed in the presence of God. He said, some of you know me from my old life because I've told you about my old life, and some of you know me now, but here is what I know, that the chief of all chiefs, the king of all creation, knows me best, and he has made me a new creation. When I think about the joy of salvation, when I think about the celebration that we have had all weekend, it centers around the reality that we all are a family in Christ, and we all have had an opportunity to be made new in Christ. But what does that really mean to become new in Christ? What does it mean when the old has passed away? What does it mean when we say, behold, look, all things have become new, as we heard from Isaiah chapter 43 yesterday morning? I believe that when Paul was speaking about this, he was also hearkening back to his own conversion, not only on the Damascus Road or the subsequent years afterwards when he was being changed and refined and listening to the voice of God, when he received his physical sight as well as his spiritual sight. He was recalling all of the things that happened on that road. I don't know about you all, but my great turning day was an immediate time of relief in my life, though all of the things that needed to happen in my life were not immediate. Sometimes I wish it were so. Sometimes I wish the things that God, I've asked God for that he would change in me immediately. Some of us are still waiting and still asking for God to do some changing in our lives. But nevertheless, God is yet allowing each one of us to do that turn as he examines our life through his word and he allows us to be in Christian community where the love of God is also magnified in our lives. 
So when I think about what God has brought me from, and I'm sure he's brought you from, here's what I believe in part that it means that the old has passed away when we tell people, look, the new has become. It means a complete immersion into the life of Jesus Christ. Many of you have been to the water park already. How many of you have been actually in the water? Your kids have been in the water. I've heard there's enough chlorine in there for like 12 pools. That's what I've been told. If some of you or your hair is changing color, you know, we'll pray for that too. But it's complete immersion. It is a complete process where the sanctification, the justification of Jesus Christ, the complete work of God has com completely filled us through and through, inside and out, over and over. When the old things pass away, it does not mean that we cease uh, to be ourselves, but it means that there is something that has gone on on the inside that says the things that I used to do, the things I once was comfortable with, the behaviors that I used to examine, they don't feel so good anymore. That there's a new motivation. There's a new desire to explore a life away from those things and to be completely immersed in a life where the eyes of Jesus are constantly on me and my eyes are constantly on him. In addition to complete immersion, I believe it means complete submission. That he will fight for us, but he will not fight against us. This has to be a matter of letting go, of trusting and allowing, as we talked about in Psalm 27 this morning, to reveal, to examine, to root out, to bind up, and to heal that which he finds to be incompatible with his nature. God desires complete submission because he is not simply the savior of our lives, he is also Lord. And maybe one of the challenges that some of us have had is that we don't mind his savior, but we don't want him to be Lord. Because when he is Lord, it means that his desires are first. What he says is first. We pray not for our will, but his will to be done. It means we open our hands and we let go of the things that we want first, trusting that his way is better. It means a complete submission, trusting that he knows what is best for us, that it is best to not kick against the goads and fight against the Savior, but instead get on the winning team and fight with him and to bring others out of darkness and into light. I believe the old things being passed away and new things coming to pass mean complete transformation, that no matter how gradual some elements in our lives may be, God is transforming you right now. Maybe some of us as little girls did the Cinderella turn. Maybe when you had your first communion dress like I did, which was the bomb, and I had a veil to boot, and I had my ears pierced, I did, right? I did. I had my own rosary from my daddy, so I did my own turnaround because I felt beautiful. Now, maybe that's not language that you guys use. Maybe it's masculine or bomb. I don't know what you six-pack, what, what whatever words you need, I don't know what's going to make you feel manly. Whatever it is, you can still turn around, broham. you got to learn how to do it now. Broham is a word in the urban dictionary for more than one man. Broham is collective. Like the word set down is the word sit down, but in the urban vernacular, set down is one word. You should try it with your children. When they're irritating you, you say, sit down. Okay? You should try it. Everybody with me, sit down. Sit down. 
right? But you got to do it with attitude, especially the mamas. You got to do it, sit down. And they will know something has transpired. <laughs> they will know the God of all creation has spoken through you, and they will sit down. <laughs> so six-pack brethren, men of God, full hair, emasculine men, whatever you need to make yourself feel special in this moment, Men with tutus and tights, whatever else you got going on. We need to turn around and we need to see ourselves as those who are being transformed by God. He is doing a transforming work. For some of us, it is slow and it is gradual. But if we are truly in relationship with him, we cannot remain the same. We have to recognize and understand that if we are in Christ, we are being transformed into his image. And if we're not being transformed into his image, we're being transformed into another image. And the God of this age wants a piece of our hearts as well. He wants us to straddle the fence. He wants us to give God just a little bit. He doesn't mind that. In fact, he doesn't mind that you go to church. He doesn't mind that you tithe. He doesn't mind that you show up. He doesn't mind that you're a deacon. He doesn't mind that you're a pastor. What he minds is wholehearted, full submission to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. That's when the enemy starts to come after us, when we fully bow our knee when the God to whom we are the subjects of his kingdom, when Satan knows we are fully sold out, he will come with guns blazing. How many of you know that he is no match when Big Brother is with you? When Jesus the King is with you, Satan is no match. What does the word of God tells us? No weapon formed against you shall prosper. And every tongue that rises against you, it shall be cast down. For this is the inheritance of the saints, says God. Every weapon formed against your family shall not prosper. They will come. Depression will come. Money challenges will come. Issues will come. Temptations in your marriage will come. They will form, and they will, but they will not prosper. And they will not prosper because you will not allow them to prosper. Because you know the voice of your father, and you're going to do exactly what he says. Because when the general calls, we answer. So the weapons may form but they will not prosper in your life. Big Brother has called us. The God of all creation is with us, and he is completely not only transforming us individually, but when he transforms us, he transforms others because we are the body of Christ. The old being passed away, the new coming also means a new identity. I talked to the KCs today, and we talked partially about identity. Because I believe one of the challenges that we have in this generation is that they need to know their identity in Christ. We have given them our last names as identity. We have given them gender. We have given them race. We have given them socioeconomic status. We've given them friendship groups. But have we given them Jesus? Have we told them their royal pedigree? Have we told them that their father is the king of kings and the Lord of lords and the master of all that he surveys? Have we told them about the blood-stained banner of Jesus Christ? Have we told them about Jehovah Jireh, Jehovah Shalom, Jehovah Zidkenu? Have we told them all about the greatness of their God? Have we picked up those memorial stones and said, now you carry the memorial stone? Have we taught them how to pick up the weights of their own life and how to walk it out with passion and commitment? 
We have given them so much, but I can tell you that I have stood before young people and there are times when I have had to repent on behalf of the church and youth pastors for taking them on ski trips and giving them pizza, but not giving them Jesus. Sometimes as parents, you've wanted us to entertain your kids, but you haven't always wanted us to tell them the truth about the battlegrounds. It is hard work to stand in the presence of young people and tell them your sin will take you out of the grace of God. And so I've had to stand before them and say, thank you for coming with me to camps and thank you for water slides and thank you for all those things which are great because they're tools. But in the end, how many know they're only tools to get their attention to tell them a bigger story? There's a bigger story and a grander story. And why am I telling this to you? Because you all remember that stack of cards that we had this morning. That stack of cards was full of many of you who are afraid for the future of your children. But the word of God has commanded, I want you to roll your shoulders back and tell and remind the devil when he comes at you, causing you to feel inadequate as a parent. The word of God tells me, Satan, that when I train up my child in the way that they should go when they are old, they will not depart from it. So it doesn't matter how far you try to take them because I've raised them right. Nobody can take my child out of my hand. Nobody can take my child out of God's hand. So you can taunt, you can blow, you can huff, you can puff, you can throw your darts at me, but I have the full armor of God. I have on the belt of truth. I know who I am. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one shall come unto the Father except through me. I have put on my breastplate of righteousness and I do guard my heart because out of this heart flow the issues of life and the issues of life include my children but you will not be allowed to take my children because I have given them into the hands of the father who owns time and all of creation. I have shod my feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace and everywhere that I walk I'm taking up holy ground for the enemy. I have on my helmet of salvation and I know who I am in Christ and that I have the mind of Christ. I hold up the shield of faith by which I quench all the fiery darts of the evil one so every time you try to come at me I'm going to come back at you and when I touch my sister and I agree I say oh one can chase a thousand and two can put ten thousand to flight so when you come against her you come against me and you've come against the wrong duo so we need to start being bold in our proclamations about what thus saith the Lord rather than what saith our fears we need to pick up the sword of the spirit which is the word of God and we need to speak it if there is a weapon that I learned when I first turned my life over to Jesus. It is to speak the word and it is to pray the word. Why? Because God said his word shall not return to him void, but shall come back and accomplish everything. Someone say everything. Everything that he set it forth to do. Everything. So you need to tell the devil to what? Sit down. Have a seat. Sit down, Satan. Not in my house, not in my family, not with my child. Weapons may be forming. Schools may be tripping. Schools need revival. Edina High School, we coming for you. Uh, we, we showing up. We're going to roll up, up, all up in the peace. We're going to circle like Jericho. We're going to walk through these walls, and all these devils are getting ready to get kicked, kicked out. Kicked out. Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. 
Greater is he who is in you. Jesus Christ is on the inside of you, and greater is he who is in you. When's the last time you told yourself that? When you recognize that you are a new creation, God, greater are you who is in me than he who is in the world. There's a lot of people in the world. There's a lot of stuff in the world, but greater are you on the inside of me. And when you speak the word, something changes, and something rises up on the inside of you as you remember that the king of all creation left this earth but did not leave us with peace but he gave us the Holy Spirit he gave us the Holy Spirit he's not just a dove or a vapor friends he's the third person of the Trinity he's our comforter he is the paracletos he teaches us what we need to know he comforts us he guides us he gives us wisdom we don't need karma you don't need karma and you don't need a horoscope you better throw it away you better shred it you better stop it right now you don't need any of that Karma is not what you need. Holy Spirit is who you need. You do not need somebody else's opinion except the opinion that's in the word of God. You do not need to punk out. You need to suit up. You need to stop being worried about what other people think of you. I hope you have some grand mansions, and I hope I get invited to some of them. I know we got people of means in this peace. Peace in the urban vernacular means in the presence, in the space. So when somebody says, when you say next time, when you go businessmen, you're like, look, God is going to bless us up in this peace. When you say that, that means God is going to bless our business. Okay? So that's really what you're saying. So you can't help it. You have a sister who's from the hood, and now you know better. Okay? You can't help it. Y'all can't help it. You say, my hood sister told me this was acceptable vernacular. Whatever you want to call it, Ebonics, whatever it is, but you're going to free your mind and the rest will follow. Okay, so listen. We're going to be free indeed. Because listen, let's be honest. Y'all can act a fool when the Vikings win. All y'all collective table 15 lost your ever-loving minds. Right? Why do, we, why do we do that? You all see how we're all sanctified in church? Right? Be thou my vision, O Lord of my heart. Right? But the Vikings, when it's like, yes, shirts come off, we're painting ourselves, have blue and purple, power dancing. Okay. How many of you know that Jesus deserves our best praise? Can we, right? Come on, table 15. Jesus, come on. Right? Right? Yeah, yeah, yes. Yes, brother. Yes, yes. You need to give Jesus some of that in your sanctified pew. You need to stand up. You might get kicked out. They might ask you to give some extra money. I don't know what's going to happen. Right? The old folk, the deacons might, you know, get upset, whatever. But you need to remind them. Our sister lives in St. Paul, Dale, and Aurora, so that's what they do at their house, right? Y'all come to church with us, and we'll teach you how to just be wild for Jesus. But think about it. Think about the reality of that. How much do we get excited when somebody's winning? How much do we get excited? How much do we do the tailgating when we get to church? And it's, yeah, God, let's just lift our hands and praise because we're just super excited to be in your presence, and it's awesome, and... God, you know, we're just really messed up inside, but, like, you're awesome and everything. If I were God, I'd be like, sit down! You are a hot mess and a half. I did not come to say, sit, sit down, right? That's a hot mess and a half. 
That is not what Jesus shed his blood. If I was Jesus, I would be angry with all y'all. All y'all means more than one person. I would be mad at all y'all. The word of God says that we need to enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Right? We need to be like, yes! Because our soon coming king is greater. We cannot give our best praise to the world. We can love our teams. We can get excited. We can coach our teams. But he deserves your best praise every day, always. Don't ever give a human being the praise that is due, the king of kings, the lord of lords, the master, the alpha, the omega, the beginning, the end, the line of the tribe of Judah, the rose of Sharon. Don't ever give somebody else the praise that only he deserves. Only he's awesome. Somebody else may be great, but only he is awesome. And God has taught me how to be mindful of the language that I give to other people and what I give to God. I'm so excited to be with you all because I'm telling you, I hope that the word has touched you, but I'm telling you all that you have touched me. And every time I am with other family, I can go back and tell people, I just met hundreds more brothers and sisters, and God is building his kingdom, and God is building his army, and the gates of hell cannot prevail against it. And we're going to go, and it's go time, and we're going to take it all. We're going to take it back. Come on, we're going to take it back, y'all. We're going to take it back. We're going to get excited. Yes, 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 yes. Come on, this is coaching moment. This is team huddle. This is get excited about Jesus. This is our soon, yes, yes, that's right. This is our city hall moment, girl, right? This is our city hall moment. We gotta get excited. Get excited about your king. Get excited about your God. You know why? Because it's one of those stones of remembrance. The word of God talks about the sacrifice of praise. And so I want you to remember that when we talk about old things being new, I want you to remember that it's complete immersion. John Newton was completely immersed, completely submitted, completely transformed, going from a slave ship captain to one who wrote one of the most incredible anthems of our time. Whitley Phipps is an amazing gospel artist for any of you who have listened to him. I have a wide range of music that I like. One of my friends told I love Burt Bacharach. Yes, I do. So even though I live in the hood, I listen to Burt Bacharach. I say a little prayer for you. Don't think if you walk by my house, you're going to hear a little Dionne Warwick. I'm going to be singing or raindrops keep falling on my head or anything else. I was listening to Tony Bennett this morning. We had a good old time. But we've got to remember one of the things that Whitley Phipps taught us is that every Negro spiritual that was ever written was written on the black keys of a piano. And if you were to go to a piano even now and play Amazing Grace, it would be played on what is called the slave scale. The slave scale are the five black keys. It was the crying out of the very voices of the slaves who cried out for mercy underneath his feet of the greyhound. So not only through that song, when we sing that song, Amazing Grace, do we remember John Newton's great turning day. Not only do we remember our great turning day, but we remember all of those who perished 
who gave their lives to build the country and the shoulders on which we stand. If someone could be changed like John Newton, God has some work that he can do in us. The old habits, the old thinking, the old access that the enemy has has been destroyed. Finally, it's important that when we see as he learned to see and seeing in sight has been what we've been talking about this weekend in part. It's important that you know that when you see differently, you understand differently. And when you understand differently, you can act differently. And when we act differently, we can live differently. And when we live differently, others will see and want to know why. So we lift up a shout of praise for our king who is coming. We are grateful unto God for all that he is doing. I am grateful to be a part of this great cloud of witnesses, this great army of God. You great men and women of God who are bold and courageous. I speak the word God to you, and I speak the word of God over you, and I expect the word of God to accomplish in your families, in your marriages, in your homes, in your finances, that which God has said. And I believe that as God is transforming me, he's going to transform you. And as he transforms us, he will transform our state. And as he transforms our state, he will transform our nation. As he transforms our nation, he will transform our world. If anyone be in Christ, they are a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. So God, we thank you for this night. This one last sweet night of being together. And tomorrow, Lord God, as we come up in the morning... In the morning when we rise, Lord God, give us Jesus. So we will give you our best praise. We will speak the word of God. We will stand on the word of God. We will teach our kids the word of God. We will fear less and fight more, Lord God. We will stand firm to the word of faith because you who has promised are faithful. And so thank you for this night and thank you for this time of encouragement where I can call us to remember that we are new in Christ. And you are not done with us yet. Your best work in us is just beginning. So we thank you for it, God. In the matchless name of the one that was and is and is to come, Jesus, our Christ, our Savior, our Lord, and our brother. And all who agree say amen. Love you guys. Thank you.